Welcome to Sex Tech Talk, where we talk about sex, technology, and the ever-growing sex tech industry. I'm your host, Michelle, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, you're going to hear an interview that I did with Heather Morrison. She's the CEO and co-founder of Bumpin', and her and her brother Andrew have created an accessible sex toy. So it was really interesting to talk with her about the sex tech industry and about their process of creating something that really is needed by a large portion of the population. So anyone with mobility issues can use this sex toy. So if you want more information on Get Bumpin' or Heather or her brother Andrew, you can go to getbumpin.com. And if you want more information on me, you can visit my website at sextechtalk.com. And we're going to go ahead and get into the episode. This was recorded on LinkedIn Audio on Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. And I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody. We are live. I am Michelle. So I started a website called sextechtalk.com because I am interested in learning all about sex tech and femtech. So I've been interviewing people on LinkedIn Live that are part of this industry. And today we have Heather Morrison. She is the co-founder of Bumpin'. So we're gonna ask her a couple questions today. And this is interactive, so if you have a comment, um, you can post a comment, or if you wanna raise your hand um, to ask a question, you can also use that feature where you raise your hand. All right, so we're gonna get started now. So thank you, Heather, for being here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, I'm so excited about our talk today. I think this is such an interesting topic and what you're doing is so cool. So first, I'd like you to just tell us a little bit about yourself and about what you do at Bumpin'. Sure. Um, so I'm a CEO and co-founder of uh, Bumpin'. We're on a mission to basically make sex tech more accessible um, because we found that, unfortunately, um, a lot of the technology that's currently on the market isn't accessible to a lot of people. So we're creating the first line of um, disability-driven uh, sex toys, um, and so our pr first product is just about to go into production. It's called the Bumpin' Joystick, um, but yeah, essentially my younger brother, Andrew Gerza, and I started um, this company a few years ago because of his experiences with um, losing his ability to um, self-pleasure. So he currently lives with, uh, well, has always lived with cerebral palsy, um, and so over the years as his CP has um, increased he's lost his ability to self-pleasure mostly due to his loss in dexterity decreasing in fine motor skills etc um and so yeah through his sort of lived experience um and the work that he's done in and around the sexuality and disability space we realized that this was a really big need in the market that hadn't been covered and very naively we set out to change that i think that is so amazing and i don't think i realized that andrew was your brother that's really cool yeah, we it's a you know it's a good base for a good headline like brother and sister team start a sex toy company. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, I and we know more about each other's sex life I think than we ever bargained to or ever thought we would. <laughs> um, but at the same 
time. Um, yeah, it's been a pretty amazing journey to be on together. Um, and yeah, has brought us a lot closer as brother and sister, but also, um, yeah, it's just been a really amazing, amazing thing to be able to work on together. Yeah, I mean, that is just so cool. And there's little to no representation um, for like sexuality in the disability community, like uh, as far as like mainstream content goes. Um, and especially if you're looking into the sex toy industry, like yours is the first product I've come across like it. Have you ever seen anything like what you're creating? Um, we've definitely there's there's people out there who are, you know, some of the bigger manufacturers, for example, like Hot Octopus, um, they've always sort of been looking at things with a lean on accessibility. And I know in, in recent years, they've been more open to that. But I think where we differ in and there are people who are kind of have started after us. Um, so the, the space is becoming there are more people in the space now than just us, but which is great. Um, but yeah, we're one of the one of the first people who, way that we approached it was really disability driven from the very beginning. So instead of thinking as a, a, of accessibility as an add-on or an afterthought or mm -hmm. how can we make our products more accessible, um, we've actually like done that from the very beginning. All of our research and all of our design principles have been in and around disability, um, have worked with people with disabilities and also have worked with occupational therapists and other experts in the space um, to make sure that we're designing with disability in mind from the start instead of thinking of it um, as an after effect. And to my knowledge, we're the first ones to have done that. Although there are some people who are starting to come up uh, after us, which, as I said, like the more people we have in this category, the more we prove the category exists. Um, and one design isn't ever going to meet everybody's needs. Like disability is such a massive spectrum, right. and so is sexuality preference. So to think that one toy or one design, like obviously for us, we hope to eventually create a full line um but yeah you're never gonna hit everybody with one design so it's great to see other people starting up in the space as well yes exactly i think the more representation the more ideas the more creativity the better exactly yeah. and as you said it's such an unrepresented space and people with disability make up you know up up to 20 percent of our populations so it's definitely right <laughs> def and then you tell things that in addition to that like aging etc and the numbers definitely go even higher so um it's definitely an area that is um rife for opportunity for people yeah. who are looking to get into it like any type of disability design seems to be overlooked in any kind of category um you know if you live one day with a person with disabilities you see how how much the world isn't set up and designed uh, for disability and how much opportunity there is there to change that. Yes, exactly. And it's just such, um, it's like from a market perspective, it's a space that like is completely ignored. That's so many people. Totally. And, yeah, and not only do they, you know, people need devices and things, you know, but it's also like, you know, money making, like, hello, <laughs> like you're just like ignoring all these people who could be buying products. Yeah, totally. And, you know, brands have done things more recently, like which seem I'm my background is marketing and innovation and advertising. So I think I can say this without sounding um, salty towards these brands. But a lot of brands have done things that seem a little bit stunty uh, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, I think of like Ikea's like um, add ons you can get for like extra furniture and even the Xbox that was designed for people with uh, low hand function. Um, and those are amazing. But I, amazing initiatives but 
I don't necessarily think that they were designed for longevity. And so it is nice to see brands starting to look at how they can play in the accessibility space. But I guess my question to them is like, what's actually your long-term vision around accessibility versus, you know, this was a really great Cannes award entry and you won an innovation award for the campaign that sat around it. So yeah, yeah. more brands are starting to look at it, but right now it seems like from a short-term point of view versus more that sort of long-term what's our... Um, accessibility initiative, although the increase in D, uh, DEI um, within organizations has definitely helped. Yeah, definitely. And my mother-in-law, she passed away now, but she used a wheelchair um, to get around. And with her mobility issues, you're right. If you've lived one day with somebody who has a disability or a mobility issue, you understand a little peek into their world of how hard it is you know, just to do basic things, to go places that are not accessible. And, you know, you, yeah. you see the world from a different perspective. 100%. Even just, you know, going for a walk with somebody with a disability or mobility issues. Like, what always interests me when Andrew and I are going for a walk is that people, he's in a big power chair, so he's hard to miss, but people, we don't even actually see him. And so he has to use his horn like a lot to tell people to basically get out of his way or to prevent them from walking straight into his power chair yeah. because he's a couple down and people I think as a society were trained not to look and not to see um, and so I think a lot of people with disabilities are also also feel a little invisible as well not just from a design point of view but just from a societal cultural point of view and not because any of the able-bodied people are doing it maliciously it's just that seems to be the way that society is formed and hopefully it's starting to change. Right. I agree with you 100%. I feel like my mother-in-law felt a lot of that experience too because she used a wheelchair from a young age. You know, I mean, relatively young. I think she was in her late 30s, early 40s, probably close to the same age I am now. Um, she had cancer and it affected her motor strip on her brain. And so, you know, she lived a long time with mobility issues. And I think she felt ignored by a lot of society. And we'd be out places and the same thing would happen. She'd have she was in a power chair and she'd have to use her horn because people weren't paying attention to yeah. her. You know, it's it's frustrating. It's frustrating. Exactly. And like, I think we are changing as a society, but yeah, you live, you walk, you spend one day with a disabled person. And you're like, oh my God, what you guys have, what you have to go through is mm -hmm. um, immense or, you know, not knowing if something is like, you have to call restaurants ahead because they'll say they're accessible, but you get there and there's like a step up. It's just, there's a lot yeah. of opportunity in the disability beyond sex tech for sure. Um, Cause it's such like a double taboo. Mm -hmm, um, right. But you know beyond that like if this company doesn't go like there's so many more opportunities that Andrew and I could look at tackling oh yeah definitely so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about like the technology and the design of the bump and joystick um so could yeah. you just like explain it you know for somebody who's never been to your website or seen it could you just explain a little bit about what it is and how it works and the tech behind it for sure so it's um so because we've designed for disability, it's like totally different than anything that you've seen. And so actually does require some explanation into like, what is this? How it works? What, like, how big is it? Why is it so big? So we kind of describe it like if a body pillow and a foam roller had like a love child, it might look something like the bump and joystick or another way that I've heard it described to them that we've started to use is like um, a body pillow with benefits. Um, and so basically, it's like it is the size of like a body pillow so it is about a meter long um the top half is like cuddly soft um 
memory foam that you basically like hug into um, and and can, and it's squishy and like it's malleable so it can kind of move around depending on like how you need to maneuver it or move it. Mm -hmm. And then the bottoms half is um, a, like it's like a, a foam, um, but it has a couple of different holes in the foam. So it kind of it's shaped like a clothes peg a little bit on the bottom um, and the holes that that kind of come through the, the peg are created to hold different sex toys that already exist in the world. So everything from wands to vibrators to even some of the sucky toys, whatever they're now being called, um, as well as um, penis sleeves um, and male masturbators as well. So we've created it so that it's as versatile as possible to help as many different people and different sexualities and sexual preferences as possible as well and different sort of across that gender spectrum and and needs. Um, and so basically the way that it works is, is, is that somebody hugs it, you hug into the joystick and you wrap yourself around the uh, bottom peg section and the peg section is holding different types of sex toys so essentially you hug you position it into a way that feels good where you can feel the vibration of the toy that you're using um or you can ins um, insert if that's what you're looking for um, and then you kind of stay there until it, it feels good so it's kind of like yeah a big body pillow with benefits if a body pillow could hold your favorite sex toys um <laughs> that's kind of the way it's designed it's without without actually being able to see it it's a bit hard to explain it just verbally um but if you're listening in live definitely head to um, our website or any of our instagram at get bumpin and you'll be able to see pictures of the joystick which would help bring this to life a little bit more yeah definitely yeah go to getbumpin.com because i have a picture of it pulled up now so as you're explaining it i understand more and i think originally looking at it i didn't realize it was so big you know i didn't realize it was like yeah. the size of a body pillow yeah, and that's one of the biggest, like, we're, because we're in the process now of getting our, like, final, final samples, so we have got, in terms of the design process, we have worked really, really closely with the disabled community and occupational therapists and design experts, um, and we have tested the shit out of every single iteration that we've done, so every time we've made any big design evolutions, we've, pro we've prototyped, we've tested, we've taken the feedback from that testing, we've put it into the next design round. We have now finally finished our sort of testing and iterating phase and we are now heading towards, okay, the final changes. We've created accessible packaging um, and we've really had to look at the entire user journey from everything from obviously like making sure that like our ordering process is accessible, but when it arrives, like you have to make sure that your packaging and unboxing is accessible, um, assembly, um, disassembly, cleaning, storage, everything needs to be as accessible as possible and always thought through um, from the lens of somebody that doesn't have good hand mobility or hand dexterity or fine motor skills because ultimately that's the barrier that we know is the biggest in the category and is the one that, that we are designing in and around to resolve. So um, this last round of testing, which we just completed a couple of months ago, um, basically saw people having seen the, the toy sent to them off the factory run um, but in a, an accessible package that we were testing as well, um, and which we're happy to say passed with flying colors. Um, and Good. so now we're heading toward, yeah, final feed, final taking that final testing information into the design team, and then heading towards the you know the final final samples um, before we go into production. So it's been. I think I said earlier, we kind of naively decided we would set out to create this company a few years ago um, because I think neither Andrew or I had any idea <laughs> what it actually meant to be able to do this and to do it well and to do it in a way that we have full faith in the product that we're putting on the market. Um, 
and that we know that and have seen that it has worked for people instead of just, you know, sending some scamps to a factory in China and hoping for the best, <laughs> um, which ultimately a lot of companies do do. And that's fine. Um, but for me, like, I don't think I would have slept well if I didn't know that it worked ahead of time and that we hadn't taken the time to like really sweat the design. Yeah, especially, you know, like you said, you think about the whole user journey because, you know, if it's not accessible to order or to open or to put together, you know, then what's the point? So it's just, I think that's just an incredible point of view to look at it that way and just think about it from step one at the very beginning, how is this going to go and cleaning and everything like that. I think that's, that's amazing you did that. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, one of the, like, I think it would be a bad look on our brand to send somebody packaging that they couldn't open. But like beyond that, like I think what's really interesting and what's become like an opportunity for us as well is um, because we've designed packaging um, that's accessible, like the category, this is what a big barrier in the category. Even if you can use the toys, a lot of times you, know, you can't get them out of the packaging um, if you've got hand mobility issues or even if you don't, like a lot of times packaging can be such a nightmare. Oh yeah. Um, and so like being able to actually use our packaging, license our packaging out to other companies um, oh. that want to be able to offer packaging actually starts to disrupt the category beyond our brand. And so I think for us, like whilst that was an accidental aha moment, mm -hmm. we're definitely, you know, it's a pretty big one now that we've kind of got some really positive user reviews um, and have designed packaging that could like literally work with any manufacturer um, within this category or even outside of this category. So yeah, it's been a really interesting process. And, you know, I think the more you talk to people and because we've been working so closely with the community, the every time you do that, you learn more. Um, and that all positively affects the end product and, and what you end up putting out onto market into market. Yeah, and that's just incredible because, you know, if people want to buy a toy to go with this, you know, they're going to need accessible packaging. And so I think that's just such a great idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, thank you. And like, I think the other thing is that what we also found from being really snoopy in people's homes and bedrooms um, <laughs> over the last few that a lot of people actually have toys, like in some cases, like drawers or suitcases full of toys that they've bought paid good money for because they're not a lot of them aren't cheap thought that they would be accessible thought they'd be able to use them get them home and realize actually they can't use them like they're not as accessible as they thought they're heavier mm. than they thought like even for me and like sorry if this is an overshare but we are talking about sex tech like you know with the first time i used um a wand like one of the ones that you actually plug in like i had to switch hands a few times because they're heavy and i don't have yeah. hand mobility issues <laughs> stage in my life so um you know like yeah, they're just for if you do like the, a lot of times you might think this will be perfectly fine. I, I think I'll be able to use this. You get at home after spending like $200 or whatever. And you're like, oh, I can't really use it or I don't use it as often as I thought because it actually cramps my hand up or for whatever reason. So this actually allows you to breathe new life into the toys that you already probably own um, or toys that you're like, fuck, I really wish I could use that toy, but it's just not accessible. Like, for example, like the suction toys, you have to be really specific around where you place that um, to make sure that you actually feel the, the full benefits. And if you've got low dexterity or if you've got um, spasticity, like having that exact placement and being able to sustain a small motion around that is pretty tricky. Yeah. Um, but there are like slightly larger like rose toy, like um, it's like a, it's shaped like a big rose. It all yeah. looks like the same like girl 
yeah, you know, the one I'm talking about. Um, so you can actually put that, and one of our testers popped that into the larger hole in the joystick, and she was like, yeah, I could totally use it. It was perfect. So, like, that, like, just stuff like that, like, the more that you test, the more you find people's ingenuity is really impressive as well. Um, but we do know that, yeah, this, this um, toy, the joystick, really acts like an adapter to either toys that you thought you you could use and, and can't but you already own or ones you really want to try but thought weren't accessible um and then once we get that up we're actually we are also creating our own vibrators and sleeves that will go that will fit really snugly into those cavities as well um but that's sort of phase two of the sort of full product design yeah i was going to ask you about that too like what else you were going to develop and what you had coming coming next yeah, so that's the next thing for us. Um, I think hilariously, originally, when we first like looked at how we were going to launch, we were going to try and do it all together. But the realities of like startup and also like hardware startups is like the amount of funding that you require at the very beginning is mm-hmm. quite before you can start to see any returns on that. So we've sort of phased it out into um you know what what do we think is going to be the product that we can get out first that's also going to help the most number of people and then off the back of that how do we build around that if we're creating adapter how do we build around that adapter so that we can help even more people so um you know it starts to open up so many different things that you could do um once you have that sort of product system in place yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, if you have to start somewhere, start with this because like you said, it is usable with so many other toys. Are you going to have yeah. like pictures of the different toys and how like they go into the joystick? Yes. Now that we've got um, sort of our final, like we're working on getting that final sort of final, final prototype, we'll start to have like more imagery. Um, there is There are some YouTube videos on our YouTube, which I can send you the link for um, for also linked on our site but you'll be able to go in there and actually see a full demo of the toy um by me so close on and work for work appropriate um but also like it shows me like putting in some of the toys and sort of like mimicking it and also there's a bunch of um videos on there uh with our occupational therapists who've been really really closely involved as they sort of talk through the types of clients that they've seen and how the joystick um would benefit or help them and how they would suggest using it Okay, that's great. Yeah, I didn't realize that. That's so cool. I'm gonna go check out some videos after our talk. That's great. That's right. And then you had told me you have a background in marketing. So did you or Andrew have any background in like sexual wellness or like sex tech or anything like that before you got started with this? Um, Well, Andrew's been working in the space of uh, sexuality and disability for um, just a little over a decade, probably. So he's definitely like quite an advocate for that space um, and works a lot, uh, sort of, I guess, lifting the taboo around sexuality and disability, Mm -hmm. um, doing a lot of uh, talks and working with people in and around that to sort of, yeah, increase awareness around it um, and decrease the taboos. But neither one of us and yeah, my background is marketing and innovation, but not so much from like a product design standpoint. So there has definitely been a very steep learning curve, I think, for both of us, just in terms of like what it actually takes to bring a physical product um, into the world, like the marketing and branding and advocacy, we kind of had sort of locked away, like based on our both of our 
um, experience. Um, but actually like hardware design and and that kind of stuff was yeah definitely new to us. And, and I had never worked in the sex tech space before. No, I didn't even know it was a thing. And then this, this is not where I thought, like I never saw my life going in this direction, but I'm delighted that it has, but I never ever thought that this is what I would do. <laughs> yeah. I recently just learned about this space and I am fascinated and it's super interesting. And all the people I've met are just the coolest people like making like stuff that is so awesome and like just doing the neatest things. So I'm, re I'm really happy that, you know, we were able to connect and talk about this today. Yeah, me too. And you know, it's, um, it's such an amazing community, the sex tech space, like, because I think we're all up against a lot of taboos and we're, and I don't think you get in it. Most people don't get in it just to make money there's usually some sort of like deeper reason or purpose behind it um so from what i've experienced um you know people have been really really supportive it's a great community to be amongst um and yeah we're all kind of you know in it for for a, a good reason yeah definitely and i wanted to ask you too about challenges like what kind of challenges or barriers have you faced like I guess with creating this product or marketing it, because I know there's a lot of censorship going on, you know, on social media and websites. So have you encountered any of those barriers? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you make a good point. Like the social barrier is a huge one. Like unlike a lot of other startups, we can't rely on just putting Facebook ads up and getting share voice that way. And that's mm -hmm. really frustrating. Um, we have to kind of build a community from scratch and go back to kind of like organic community building, which isn't really the way that social media is set up to work or to be right. designed. Um, like that, it doesn't fit the algorithms. Like it's been set up to put money behind and that's how you get that sort of awareness and consideration and can use their tools to sort of drive sales. But unfortunately, if you're in the sex tech space, like, I mean, you can talk about sex negativity all you want, but anything that's sex positive on social, um, you're allowed to post about it, but you're not allowed to put paid spend behind it, um, which just dramatically cuts off your ability to actually um, drive any sort of real business results, which is really, really frustrating. Um, and I know I'm not alone in, in that frustration. So that's, that has been a big barrier. It continues to be a barrier. I don't necessarily see them changing the rules on that anytime soon. Unfortunately, it just means that we have to be a lot more um, nimble, I guess, with how we go about doing things. And I guess we're constantly trying to trick Facebook into taking our money, but it doesn't work for very long. <laughs> so um, we just have to be a lot more crafty and creative. Um, and then I guess the other barrier that we come up against, which won't be new to people in our space, but also to, pe to any startups is just constant requirement for funding. I think I touched pre a little bit before on when you have a hardware startup, the initial startup costs are so much more than you would if you were creating an app or something that's software based um, because you need to put into like money into things like tooling and actual manufacturing and the production line, etc. So your initial costs are really, really high. And obviously then if you can get through that initial bit, um, as you start to increase volume, your costs go down. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> We're still in the costs are pretty high uh, point of our journey. Um, so yeah, just getting funding and getting people to buy into your funding. Like, for example, getting government grants is like basically not going to happen. Well, in my experience, like even how much, no matter how much we wrap this up in um, human rights, which it is, sexual pleasure is a human right. And Definitely. for, you know, building around the world it's it's inaccessible and that's how we that's how we tell our story and and definitely when we're applying for grants that's the ones that we write from um but like government grants that might be open to other startups 
most governments don't want to be seen to be funding a sex toy. Like, like, look, they might love what you're doing, but they're just not going to give you money. Um, and similarly, a lot of VCs, like the sex sex space is is increasing and, and it's changing, but it's slow. Um, and unfortunately, it's, you know, a lot of the money is still held by um, pretty conservative um, investors and traditional investors. And so it's just harder to, to find investment than it might be for companies who are doing things that aren't related to sex tech. So, and even like things like finding insurance, per, like people to insure you, like mm, the infrastructure yeah. that you also be really challenging. Um, like I've been looking for ages for a good insurance provider and because we're working with sex toys, like it's, uh, it's really, really hard to find one. Um, so it's small things like that, that end up just being bigger headaches than they would for other companies yeah definitely and what's been like your main source of funding then has it been through like crowdfunding or how um we did a little bit of crowdfunding at the very very beginning um to kick off our research but since then we've done a couple of accelerator programs one which ended in investment um one, and both which came with a little bit of capital for equity um, so we did a remarkable, the remarkable technology program here in Australia, which um, is specifically just in and around um, disability-driven startups, um, and that was amazing. It gave us a small bit of money when we were first starting out, which was really helpful. Um, and then last year, we went through the Antler program, which is a slightly larger VC-backed program, um, which yielded in positive funding for us and also allowed us to sort of drag along some of our earlier investors and attract a couple of angels into that round as well. Um, so that's kind of where we're at now um and we've been using that funding but again like you know i think our last round we raised about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a hardware startup that doesn't go very far like we don't pay our none, none of us are getting paid like my my brother and i don't have to take any any money out of that it's pretty much all gone into the development of the product and and keeping like the lights on from like a website point of view etc right. and and finding the product yeah yeah wow yeah, and I hope with time that that changes, you know, and people in the sex tech space get more opportunities, you know, to work with some of these venture capital companies and things like that. Yeah, and I think it is like there's definitely some more movement in the U.S. Um, I'm I'm in Australia and Australia in its best days is like mega, mega conservative. Um, I was surprised that we actually got into mm. the Antler program. Yeah, um, but. That they took a punt on us and and you know have been a, a really positive partner. So I think it's changing and there are more open-minded investors out there. It's just harder than if you're like you know traditional, um, a traditional um, like software startup. Then like you're going to have a lot more initial traction with investors than you are hardware and consumer goods. It's just harder to to get funding for and then you layer on top of it like that you're in like they're creating a sex toy and it's yeah a lot harder. Yeah. Definitely. So I did invite somebody to our conversation that I met on Instagram yesterday. Her name is Jessica, but she's showing up here as Allison um, and she had raised her hand to speak. So did you have a question for us, Jessica? I can add you to the speaking panel. I think you just have to raise your hand. Yeah, there we go. Okay, let me allow you in. Okay. All right, so I think all you have to do is unmute your mic and you should be able to talk. I've never partaken in a discussion on the Yeah, I can hear you like, just barely. It's kind of quiet. Okay, I can talk a little louder. Is that better? 
Yeah, I can hear you better now. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm actually, just so you all know, um, I'm teaching right now, and my students just got to hear you speak. So, oh, wow. um, a lesson on adaptable sex toys. Um, Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, something really resonated with me as you were speaking, Heather, if I may call you Heather. Yes. That was government funding for adaptive technology and toys. Um, so I met Michelle last night. Michelle caught wind of something that I'm kind of putting out right now. Um, I'm an artist based in Atlanta, Georgia. I have spinal muscular atrophy type 2. I'm an interdisciplinary artist, but I've recently been doing more curatorial work. I've recently been added to a satellite art show for Miami Basel for um, a curation called Spake Moms. And getting funding for this curation is extremely difficult, and I'm currently crowdsourcing. So I find it a little disappointing that when we go on, to government websites, the, the amount of accessible funding for individuals needing assistive technology, needing funding for projects to increase the production of accessible technologies or, or instruments, um, it's, it's very limited. And it, it seems to be limited in other spaces as well. Um, so I guess, uh, do you have any recommendations for how this particular thing that I'm trying to put forth can be seen. Have you seen any other disability uh, friendly grants? Because they're so limited. Oh, I know. I totally said um, that. I, I thought, look, I thought not naively when we first started. Like, I, I think I even remember reading it. And like, oh, we've got a female founder and a female founder. Like, we're going to be we're gonna cash it. We're gonna like, we're gonna just, like sweep the grants. I'm so incredibly wrong. Um, I don't have a lot of advice, unfortunately, because it's something that we're still sort of navigating as well. I would say that, like, so we did a, a program here, which was Remarkable Tech, which was a, which was an accelerator program um, that came equity funding. Um, I know that they're starting up in the U.S. as well, and so I would suggest looking at to them um, because we operate in Australia or I'm, I'm in Australia at the moment I haven't gone like really deep into what's available in the US although we had applied for a few initially we just weren't successful um, so we stopped putting too much time there um, but yeah look, I have a look at, at Remarkable Tech yes, um, as an accelerator program because I know they're just starting up um, and it does come with a little bit of initial um, start funding Okay, and if you could, um, is there a way to drop a link in a discussion box on LinkedIn? I'm unfamiliar, so that way I can research that avenue a little more. I don't know, but if you want to send me a, um, a message on LinkedIn, go ahead and I'll, I can give it to people as well if it feels like it's going to be the right fit for you. Okay, well, thank you very much. Amazing, thank you so much.
Yeah, and if there's any resources or links or anything, I can share them in this event space um, afterwards, or feel free to just send me a message and I can share some things um, on my like LinkedIn page. Um, I can tag some people and we can figure that out. So I know Heather, I know Perfect. you've got like a hard stop because you're a busy person. So I wanted to thank you for coming on. <laughs> So could you um, just tell people how to find you if they're looking for you or get bumping? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to our website at www.getbumpin.com. So bumpin is B-U-M-P-N. Um, all of our socials are at getbumpin. Um, and if you want to send me an email, my email is heather at getbumpin.com. I'm happy to answer any questions or keep this conversation going. Um yeah, it's always good to connect with people who are interested in the space or who are working in the space because it's small, but it's growing. So it's always really nice to find new people into it. Yeah, I think it's just so cool to learn about new aspects of the space and meet new people. And I know, Jessica, you're doing a GoFundMe now for Spankbox, which people can go check out on Instagram. And Jessica, where else can they find info on Spankbox? You can be on Instagram. I've been pushing out the social media blasts. Um, I also have a GoFundMe page as well as Facebook. Um, we can send out that link, is that possible, uh, to my Instagram. But basically, just to kind of give people a real quick summary of what Spankbox is. Spankbox is an Atlanta-based um, uh, project that focuses on individuals with physical disabilities. Uh, it's a photographic installation where the individuals submit images of themselves and sexualized, hypersexualized poses and situations. They also send in a question that is paired with that image and they allow people visiting Spankbox to answer that question and it creates a safe space to have an open dialogue about disability and sex. Um, so if you go to um, Willie underscore and underscore artist, you can get all of my social media blast. I've got a lot of really big people tied to the project, namely Steve Way from the Hulu show Rami has signed on to the project and will be one of the inaugural 11 of the Spank Box. So we're really happy about that. But in order for this to be seen, it desperately needs funding. Because as you may know, people with disabilities work on a fixed income and you know, it, it is what it is. So um, I appreciate the platform to actually talk and put it out there though. All right, well, awesome. So that is so cool. So I dropped a couple links in the comment section. And if anybody has questions um, after our talk, you can send me a message or um, contact Heather. Her name's Jessica slash Allison, <laughs> but, um, or find her on Instagram. All right, so I know we've got to wrap it up. So I just want to thank you both again for coming on and doing this cool chat with me. I think LinkedIn audio is kind of a fun feature. And I have, I have recorded this, so I will post a playback later for anybody who missed it. Um, so thank you again. I hope you guys have a great day. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me, Michelle. Yeah, really you're welcome. All right. Bye, Heather. Bye, Jessica. Bye. Goodbye.
Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode with Heather Morrison. It was really great to chat with her and Jessica. Jessica came on at the end of the episode there. If you are in the sex tech or femtech industries and you would like to chat with me, you can send me a message. I'll put my email in the show notes and we can arrange a LinkedIn audio slash podcast recording. So it's really a nice time to talk and have people join in who are interested in learning more about the sex tech industry. So once again, thank you for following along. You can follow me on all social media platforms at Sex Tech Talk. Have a great day. Thank you.